The very latest from our local ag industry. The Farming Show with Dylan Honkoop is next on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Hi, Brad Barron here, CEO at Barron Heating, AC Electrical and Plumbing, checking in after the cold snap. How's your whole home holding up? Heat, power, water, all basic foundations of comfort. But freezing weather can cause big problems for these essentials, leaving your home begging for some TLC. Punxsutawney Phil says early spring, but winter isn't over yet making now the perfect time for a barren performance maintenance. Recovery and prevention are key to keeping your furnace or heat pump ready for the elements. And don't wait for winter to wreak havoc on your plumbing. Hidden leaks can go unnoticed and worsen over time. Barron Plumbing's leak detection can prevent damage and fix problems for good. For peace of mind with your power, turn to Barron Electrical. From surge protection to whole home generators, we'll keep your lights, heat, and refrigerator on no matter the weather. So call Barron today and take care of your whole home, ensuring your investment are running safely, efficiently, and reliably when you need them most. Aaron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. The Lummy Bay Market at Exit 260 is where you'll find more in the store. You'll find more in the store because there's so much store, almost 10,000 square feet. The Lummy Bay Market is where you'll find everything you need for on and off the road. You'll find the best value on gas and diesel, along with way more than you would expect out of a convenience store. There's a liquor department featuring a great selection of your favorite competitively priced spirits, wines, and mixers. And of course, you'll want to check out the huge selection of ice-cold beer in their massive beer cave. Want to grab a quick bite for breakfast or lunch? Don't feel like cooking dinner? At the Lummy Bay Market, you'll find a great hot deli counter, including our brand new fried chicken, chicken tenders, and chicken wings with all the fix-ins. Make the Lummy Bay Market your first or last stop of the day for fuel, food, and more. The Lummy Bay Market, just off I-5 at exit 260 on Rural Avenue. Open 24 hours, 7 days a week. Lummy Bay Market, where Where there's there's more in the store. store. the farm it's an emotional thing an emotional mini documentary of that title we, we talked about it a bunch last week when we had the subjects of the documentary with us here on the program in advance of its release now it's out in the world and you can check it out as well at losingthefarm.com this mini documentary about a local seed potato grower that made the very difficult choice to go out of business and hearing the details of, you know, some of the factors why and, of course, all of the emotion of having to do that with the legacy uh, behind them of generations before. It's, it's not an easy watch, but it's an important Watch And if you listen to this program, you probably know some of those factors that uh, are, are part of the mix in the, you know, the survival of family farming here locally in Whatcom County, Skagit County, across Washington State. This is the Farming Show. Did I mention that? I'm Dylan Honkoop here uh, on KGMI this morning. And glad you're here. Um, now that it's out 
for the the world to see. And by the way, you can check uh, this show out, pa- uh, past episodes. It's the Save Family Farming Show on SoundCloud. And you can hear any of our past uh, segments uh, that we share there. So check that out. Again, Save Family Farming on SoundCloud. And uh, so you can hear the, the interview with Jeff and Diana Bedlington. Cascade Farms uh, is the, the seed potato farm that, that had to close up shop just less than a year ago. And they recount in, in pretty personal detail what went on behind the scenes as they had to make that, as they had to make that decision themselves and with the next generation, uh, their son-in-law, Blake and daughter, Clara uh, Tavelli, who, who were all set to continue on the farm, but the numbers didn't work and the pressures had become too high. The hurdles too big when they made that decision to not carry on. Now, I won't spoil it all for you, this documentary. that I, Again, I, I really think you need to watch it. And some people are congratulating me for that, for the documentary. I appreciate that. I really shouldn't take a lot of credit for this, though. You know, I, I've been involved with it somewhat, but uh, filmmaker Jason Kortheis, um, Gerald Barron, um, kind of uh, senior advisor for Save Family Farming, Fred Lickle is very involved, the, the people that we interviewed, including Jeff and Diana Bedlington, having the courage to open their deeply personal lives and emotions up for people to, and the reason they did it was because they want people to understand what's happening. They want to educate the public on what's really going on with farming. Um, and, and some of the other guests, um, which I'm going to play a clip. I'm going to play a fairly long clip actually from the documentary here this morning for you to check out. So you can get a taste of some of the things. This is actually from later in the documentary where we get into probably the one of the biggest issues that it tackles, which is what's going on with water. And we talk about that a lot here on the show, do we not? <laughs> this this looming a court case called a water rights adjudication. We had an expert, Jay Chenault, on. We need to get him here on the program one of these days. Um, he's an hydrologist, an engineer with AESI. Um, and he breaks down some of this stuff. Fred Lickle, you'll hear in there. You know, we've had him on the program many, many times. Executive Director, Watkin Family Farmers, a colleague of mine here in advocacy for farming. Um, Todd Burgers with Larson Gross uh, shared his expertise about farms and the pressure, the, the kinds of pressures they face generally. So, yeah, I want to I want to share this section of the documentary with you i'll you know there's a lot of visuals you'll be missing listening here on the radio and that's why i definitely encourage you to go to losing the where you can watch the full documentary or you can find it on watkin family farmers or save family farming's facebook page instagram uh, youtube uh, etc but losing the is the easiest way to get right there uh, it's on that page. The trailer is at the top of the page. And then if you scroll down, you can watch the full uh, mini documentary. Uh, so I'll try to set up some of the things that y- you can't see here on the radio 
for those of you listening along in, in the in-between. So I might jump in here and there as we share this clip. But I think this is a, an important part of the documentary where it really gets down to brass tacks with some of the stuff that's been going on with water. Now let's hope all the, and again, this is the farming show here on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop, uh, and this is a clip here um, from Losing the Farm, a uh, new documentary just out this past week, uh, available at losingthefarm.com. And uh, here's a clip. You know, we don't know, you know, I mean, they could shut us down in July or June or whatever, um, and, and we wouldn't have had a crop. That 70 acres where we had beautiful spuds growing, we got a letter saying you'll get a $10,000 fine a day if you continue to water. Well, if we did the math, that's probably seven, 800000 close to a million dollars in product that is sitting in the ground that would be gone if we had gotten that letter in June. And that alone would cripple that us. That would have shut us down. We would have been shut down. Farming has been going on in Northwest Washington since the late 1800s. There was plenty of water for farming from the Nooksack River and the streams. Rain and melting snow fill the streams and fields, so they flood. But in late summer, less rain and warmer temperatures mean the natural flow is much lower. The lower flows and higher temperatures can harm fish. Surface water was first regulated in beginning in 1917, and the groundwater statute followed in 1945. So the in-stream flow rule in the Nooksack Basin was adopted in 1985, and that rule uh, sets minimum flow levels for the Nooksack River and various streams throughout the basin. So those flow levels are uh, most often not met in the summer low flow period. So it effectively um, shut down all new water rights from being approved after 1985. And just a quick time out here. Again, this is The Farming Show, listening to a clip from the new documentary just out called Losing the Farm. That's Jay Chenault there. Uh, he's a hydrologist uh, with Associated Earth Sciences, Inc., AESI. Um, and you heard him begin there after the narrator. And again, listening here on the radio, you're missing some incredible visuals. That's why I would encourage you to go to losingthefarm.com uh, to watch um, this documentary. Um, but in the meantime, take a listen more. And this is where we get down to brass tacks and what's really happening with this lawsuit that the state is about to file this spring here in Whatcom County over water. Um, and Jay Chenault here explains more of that. Uh, let's get back to uh, losing the farm, this uh, clip from the documentary. Taking water from streams to irrigate crops was the normal practice. But with the growth of farming, the water taken from streams and the river became a problem. So farmers dug wells and used groundwater instead. Farmer dug a well prior to 1945. They weren't required to get a groundwater right um, for the use of that groundwater. Ecology has um, since asked those pre-1945 groundwater users to file claims of that water use to document that water right. Um, and if they did not understand the need to file a claim to document that pre-code um, groundwater use, then it would appear as if they did not have a water right um, for that, um, to use that well. 
And that's, uh, sorry to interrupt here again, that's Jay Chenault with AESI explaining this. He just explained this whole thing where farmers are being accused here locally of watering illegally. Is that really the case based on what he just explained? I would argue, no, not really, but it needs to get figured out. And some would say, well, that's why we need an adjudication. Unfortunately, adjudication locks those people out, and it won't figure out um, those issues. It will just leave them out in the, well, I was going to say in the dark, but that's the wrong wrong, um, idiom. Uh, High and dry is more accurate. Let's get back to Jay Chenault again. Uh, Clips from... Uh, losing the farm, losingthefarm.com is where you can see this new documentary. Here's Jay Chenault, a hydrologist with AESI, continuing. Many farmers became aware or were made aware that they had been irrigating on lands, maybe for generations, that did not have a legal water right. So ecology staff told um, these farmers that if they applied for water rights in the 90s, ecology would allow them to continue to irrigate those historically irrigated properties while those applications were pending with ecology. I think there are around uh, 200 um, water right applications that were filed about that time in response to this um, statement by ecology. And to my knowledge, none of those water rights have been processed at this point. Through the early 90s, and even now, where applications, there has not been any water right um, said, oh yeah, you can do this legally. Well, I think the 90s, they, they basically said, let's get your applications in. So you had all these farmers, you know, that didn't have a water right, but still have been watering for since the, the, 30s. F- the 40s, 30s or 50s or, 40s, or whatever. Yeah. Um, they said, "Well, just get your applications in, and we'll we'll it'll be okay. We'll, it'll be okay. We'll get it worked out." Well, none of those applications have been touched. So, even though we've been watering since the since my grandpa started, you know, so I'm not. I don't feel like we're illegal, but according to ecology or whoever, we are out of compliance. And that doesn't sit well with us because we're trying to do this right. Okay, here's the part about the lawsuit. Jay Chenault is back. That was Losing Jeff and Diana. Losing the farm was not an Bedlington. easy decision for the Bedlingtons. Rising costs of labor, new overtime rules, a broken promise by the Department of Ecology to provide secure water rights. All these add up to ever greater pressure. But the deciding factor for Bedlingtons was the decision by the state of Washington to sue all water rights holders. An action called Water Rights Adjudication. Ecology intends to file what's called a general stream adjudication of water rights in the Nooksack Basin at some point um, this spring of 2024. Um, the adjudication is a lawsuit where ecology is the plaintiff and all water users um, within the Nooksack Basin will be um, the defendants. So these water users include water right holders and permit exempt uh, well owners or you know farmers that hold water rights that um, irrigate large tracts of land. Um, everybody will need to participate in this lawsuit uh, between ecology and the water users uh, to defend their existing water use in Whatcom County Superior Court. Hundreds of the remaining farmers in Whatcom County have land without completed water rights. But not just farmers are affected by this state lawsuit. Everyone is affected. The thousands of residents who rely on wells for their water, and even local cities, 
will all have to defend their right to use water. So if ecology is made aware that uh, water use is occurring in an area that um, they don't have records of a legal water right for, they will um, send a letter to the property owner uh, that's generally referred to as a technical assistance letter that states, you know, we don't see record of a water right for this property that you um, are irrigating. We will try to work with you to come up with a solution um, to get you uh, legal coverage of that water right or potentially be subject to uh, fines for illegal water use. Well, you pay by the acre for an attorney to represent you um, when the lawsuit is leveraged, but you need to have that attorney on retainer before. So that's, you know, probably $40,000 without them doing any work for you. So it's expensive. And that's an annual retainer. Yeah, that's right? an annual retainer. So it's expensive. And we don't have that with all the other things that we need to do. And um, farming's changed. It's the amount of energy it takes and paperwork to do it right the way we can sleep at night is astronomical. Water rights are at the forefront of a lot more conversations now than they used to be. From a banking perspective especially, that, that's, by the way, just jumping in here again, that's Todd Burgers now that we're hearing from uh, an accountant with uh, Larson Gross. Um, he's in leadership there talking just in general about the pressures on farmers uh, throughout this new documentary, Losing the Farm, but here specifically talking about the water pressures uh, that farms are under. Uh, get back to Todd Burgers in this clip here from Losing the Farm. They are greatly reducing you know, appraised value on land that doesn't have the right water rights. For a, you know, a small to mid-sized farm, they're so reliant on the value of their land and the value of their capital infrastructure that they've had to put in place to operate these farms and proving out either their water rights or acquiring them, or it's just taken a lot of extra work in a time where there's a lot of areas on their farm and on their business that are required a lot of extra work. Um, and so it's just stretching people more and more thin. If that's a limiting factor, that can really close the door sometimes to seeing a path for a next generation to take it over. And again, so it just, it's one of many items that is making it harder and harder for farms to be able to transfer from one generation to the next right now. And there it is, a clip from Losing the Farm. Uh, not the whole film or anywhere close, but I uh, would encourage you to go check it out, losingthefarm.com. That's the part where it gets down to brass tacks about what's going on with water here in our community. And if you're like me, you, especially when, you know, the, the technical expert, Jay Chenault, there talking a little bit earlier, giving some background, it's like, oh, well, wait a minute, I need to hear that again. And that's the... The great part about a documentary like this, you can watch it as many times as you want. You can go back and listen to really get it and understand um, the, the technical reasons why so many farmers in Whatcom County are in a pinch because of this legal situation. Um, you, you really, folks, you really need to check out this documentary. And there's a lot more to it than what I just shared with you as well. Losing the farm 
com again is is the website we would really appreciate it if you take a look there um and this is you know spread it to to friends family folks you know that might be interested in this um because we're really trying to make sure people understand what's actually going on with family farming um you know some people have said oh well you know this or that about the specific story of Cascade Farms and Jeff and Diana Bedlington, who you heard there. Really, this is a story about so much more than them. Their story is just um, one example of what's been playing out on so many family farms in Whatcom County and in a lot of ways across Washington State. So, and, and that's why we're doing this documentary. That's why we've released this. Losing the Farm... Dot com is the website where you can find the new documentary. Please go check it out. Thanks for being with us here uh, this Saturday morning on The Farming Show here on KGMI. We've got more coming up. When you buy a Subaru, you're buying more than a vehicle. You're buying safety for your family, an investment that will hold its value, and something that will last a long, long time. In fewer words, you're buying trust. According to Consumer Reports, Subaru has been ranked the 2023 best mainstream automotive brand. And the Subaru Outback has been named a 2024 recommended model. For a limited time, you can celebrate them both with special offers during the Subaru A Lot to Love event at Dewey Griffin Subaru. On now through April 1st. Stop into Dewey Griffin Subaru and find out how you can get up to 1.9% APR financing on select new 2024 Subaru Outback models. Plus, when you purchase a Subaru from Dewey, you'll be supporting a local dealership that supports our local community. Dewey Griffin Subaru. Community-minded, community-driven, and the only Subaru-certified tire and service center in Whatcom County. Learn more at Subaru.com slash CR. How do we earn our reputation for repairs you can trust? Great mechanics? Yeah. Quality parts? Absolutely. But the real secret is knowing the most important part of every vehicle is the driver. And here's your keys. She's already Right on time. Thanks. With over 30 years of service, you can trust Bellingham Automotive to help you with any regular maintenance needs or unexpected repairs. Schedule your appointment at 360-676-5200 or visit BellinghamAutomotive.com. Hello, folks. This is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham, and I would like to invite you to join me every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. right here on KGMI for the Aging Hour. If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, long-term care costs, probates, wills, trusts, or anything else that has to do with aging, this is the radio show for you. Studies show that more than 70% of estate plans fail when families need them the most. Join us every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m., and we can show you how to set your family up for success. Whether you're exploring Linden, walking the trails at Whatcom Falls, or grabbing coffee between classes on Western's campus, free local news is now at your fingertips. Go directly to MyBellinghamNow.com or download the new MyBellinghamNow app. MyBellinghamNow.com and the new MyBellinghamNow app. Hyper-local community and county news. 100% free and no subscription ever. MyBellinghamNow.com or the new MyBellinghamNow app. Available from the App Store or Google Play. Stay informed. Stay connected. Stay local. MyBellinghamNow.com now.com the latest local news and important topics of the day from the west mechanical studio no gimmicks just the highest quality systems zero percent interest financing and a 100 percent satisfaction guarantee rely on west mechanical heating air conditioning and electrical contact them today at westmechanical.net 
Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and MyBellinghamNow.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Well, after a fall of speaking out, over a thousand farm workers voicing their frustration with the changing laws here in Washington State and how it's causing them to make less money, they were back. And this time, not in eastern Washington, they came to Olympia. As we've talked about here on the program, it's been a few weeks ago now. I was there, Safe Family Farming was there helping support, but it was led by the Center for Latino Leadership. Uh, 300 farm workers in Olympia saying, no overtime. We don't want overtime. Why? Why on earth would someone not want overtime? A lot of people are asking, and we've explained it many times here on the program, um, just how it doesn't, as much as overtime can be potentially a good thing for somebody working an office job or a factory job, it doesn't fit the highly seasonal work that happens in farming. And we're just continuing to check in with more people out there. You know, recently we talked with Alex Lanusa in Kashmir uh, about what this whole situation has meant for him and his pear farm. Joining us right now on the farming show, and welcome, by the way, I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI. Um, joining us right now on the farming show uh, from over on the east side again uh, is Eric Savala. He is uh, field staff. Uh, director of field staff, I should say, for Bluebird Incorporated, a, a cooperative of growers with uh, fruit that they produce uh, from the Canadian border all the way down to Oregon, um, based there in the apple capital of the world in Wenatchee. Eric, thanks for being here. Talk about what people are saying right now. You know, you again, director of field staff, you know so many people. You're working with them in the field. You're hearing what what's going on in their lives what is this how is this affecting people oh thanks uh, thanks Dylan for uh, for inviting me and uh yeah so basically uh uh being with uh, with the field staff and having uh, growers of myself I, I get the opportunity to work with uh yeah, big and small growers uh family farms and and this this is uh definitely affecting the grower but also I do have uh friends and family members that uh, do work uh, as, as laborers, uh, either pruning, picking, thinning, you name it. Uh, and and this, this new law of the 40 hours uh, uh, basically is, is filled with uh, misinformation and also disinformation in a way that, yeah, it sounds wonderful. It sounds great that uh, after 40 hours, uh, my family members were going to start earning uh, overtime but when reality hit, uh, once they hit those 40 hours, uh, they had to basically told uh, come back on Monday because there's no way that the small grower is able to pay overtime on on salaries that are already pretty high. So this this disinformation uh, uh, kind of backfired because everybody was yeah. so excited that that yeah, I mean I'm gonna get get paid overtime and, and everybody started doing the math and I mean, they're already thinking about getting the new car or buying a new house, whatever, but uh, nobody was uh, basically anticipating that 
the the, the small family farm and even the big corporations uh the, they were not going to be uh, not willing but able to pay overtime so talk about yeah what, what, is that you know you're saying that, that uh, if uh, threshold for overtime is at 40 hours a week which it is now as of you know the first of this year um yes. people can work their 40 hours but then the farmer saying we can't afford to pay that 50% more uh per hour for your time beyond that so we're going to say call it a week then and instead what bring in more workers um to get the job done are people able to find workers some people have said well you know obviously there must not be a labor shortage if farmers are, are doing it that way how how is that playing out for folks uh well it definitely uh it's it's uh it's really difficult uh i i personally have growers that once once that 40 hours hits uh they the actual farmer and their family, I mean, uh, their sons, their in-laws, uh, the the farmer's wife, they're having to put on the cherry bucket or the, the bag to, to pick their own apples until the new week rolls in. So this is really affecting affecting them. And when it comes to, to fruit, which is a very perishable commodity, it's not like, well, you, we'll just shut off the line and then come back on Monday and pick <laughs> yeah. up where we left. Yeah, you could uh, actually it's, it's, cause uh, more damage by doing that, by having fruit go to rot, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, especially like in cherries, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a very short window. And with the, the extreme weather we've been experiencing in the past years, uh, you can, I mean, the difference between being able to pick your fruit uh, today and then the don't pick in three days because you already topped off on those 40 hours uh it is the difference whether you pick or you don't pick at all yeah uh, it's just, just it's, it's so critical that the fruit needs to get picked when the fruit is ready to be picked well and part of the the larger perspective problem for the grower right now is that this cost of getting things picked of paying for the folks to do it keeps going up and up and up okay but the price that they're getting for the fruit isn't going up and up and up, right? And that's kind of where the squeeze happens. Um, yeah, unfortunately, that's that's uh, that's reality. So I mean, everything. Uh, I mean, everybody knows that uh, inflation is a reality, and and everything is is going up in price: fuel, chemicals, labor. Uh, but unfortunately, the returns to the grower uh, they're stagnant. They, they've been there and and it has not increased. And like, especially like last year, uh, the price of cherries was so low that when we did the math of how much you would be able to pay to get the fruit picked and seeing the returns that the grower was going to get per pound, uh, personally, several of my growers uh, decided not to pick because they, yeah, they were going to employ the, the worker, but they were literally going to have to get money out of their wallet to pay this grower, uh, this workers, because that they were going to lose money by picking. We had that uh, a year or two ago um, when I shared a, a video of a farmer in his field of cantaloupe uh, over in Eltopia um, that he chose not to pick because he couldn't afford to do it. Now, that that was so hard for a lot of people on social media to wrap their mind around. They're thinking, well, the the fruit is there um how and and you've grown it to that point why couldn't you just pick it or or then you know make it available to the food bank or or tell the public to come get it it doesn't work that way does it it does not work that way i mean uh liability uh of course once you get 
anybody, I mean, basically, if you want to give up the fruit, say, for free, come and pick it. Uh, as soon as somebody steps foot on your farm, you're responsible for their safety. And if somebody has an accident, uh, falls from the ladder, you name it, or somebody gets sick because of the fruit that they picked out of your orchard, now you're responsible for that. So yeah. even though all that time from literally the previous year from pruning all the way to D-Day, you know, harvest time, and when the math is done and they cannot pick the fruit, and, and, it's, and it's cheaper uh, to just let it hang. Uh, one, one of my growers said, the only earnings I'm going to get this year is the money that I'm not going to lose. Mm. Uh, so basically, they already accepted that all that investment that went into producing that piece of fruit uh, is there already. But wh why lose more money by, by picking it and then having the warehouse telling them, you know, we couldn't sell it. So we're going to have to just throw it away. Exactly. Again, Eric Zavala is with me. He's director of field staff for Bluebird Incorporated over in Wenatchee uh, and all over uh, central Washington in particular and all the way down to Oregon. From the from the border down to Oregon, they cover a lot of ground, have growers all over the place. It's a cooperative uh, of fruit growers. Fruit and, and some of these really labor-intensive crops that we have here in Washington that are, are unique or a specialty to us make us particularly vulnerable as a farming community to these um, rapidly increasing costs for labor, right? I mean, that, that's a big part of it. It's, it's different than growing wheat and having one guy in a combine and one guy in a, you know, truck and a grain cart, you know, it takes a lot of people. How, how many people, you know, between all the growers that you work with, how many people are we talking about that, that you're connected with even just for the, the harvest? I mean, it's probably thousands, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's thousands. Uh, I mean, each uh, each grower depends on an acreage, of course. But uh, I mean, I got growers that uh, at, at one point they got three hundred guys picking at once, and and it, it is it's, that's that is the most expensive input uh, of any farm, at least in the fruit industry, is is labor labor cost. Now, talk about your story a little bit, Eric. You grew up around farm work. You've you've been around this your whole life, right? Yeah, basically, uh, I came to the States uh, back in 95. I was uh, nine years old, and since since day one, I mean, my first night in the, in the United States was uh, uh, sleeping under a walnut orchard in Stockton, California, hmm. picking picking cherries. And and yeah, basically, it was, uh, we didn't, we grew up not knowing what weekends were. Basically, we just worked throughout, and summers, you know, for us, for my, my brothers, and uh, that that was what we're taught, you know, uh, hard work, and that was our opportunity to make money. So yeah, the more you worked, the more money you earned, and and that was that was fine, you know. Uh, even at at points, you know, we we would work in the morning picking cherries, came noon, and then uh, we would go home, and then once the evening hit, we'd go back and and uh, pick for some growers in, in the evening uh, when the yeah. cool uh, the the weather kind of cooled down. So. Uh, basically working long hours was not was not an issue and right. so now now that they are limiting those hours uh again is it was such a mis miscommunication that this was going to have a, a great impact on this on these workers yeah ex explain that because coming from a, a family of 
folks in farming and farm work, don't you want workers to make more money? I'm sure people would say, you know, shouldn't you be in support of this? How how is it that you've come to the the perspective that you have now? You know, uh, it was just kind of interesting. So I, uh, so I I still keep communication with some of my high school teachers, you know, and and so we we took a drive the other way to uh, to Oroville and. So I'm, I'm I'm talking to to my teacher about this, and I told him you know how the 40 hours and and he he was like well this is great I mean finally uh, the farm workers are gonna get paid overtime and to me it's like wow I mean talk about the media being successful in in and and painting this this facade that is that it sounds great but it's not it's not happening. So I, I explained to him, you know, this, this, I'll give you one example with, with a family relative. So he, he currently is working for, for one of the biggest cherry growers in a, here in Wenatchee. And he, he's, he was working as an irrigator. So working as an irrigator, he would start an hour earlier than everybody else uh, to go change the water, check the sprinkler systems. And then he would go and, and join the other co-workers, uh, finish, finish the shift with them. And then uh, around six o'clock, he would go back and, and do the second change of water. And he would put uh, from two to three hours more. So in a week, he was putting, he was putting uh, almost two, two shifts more. Uh, and then he was happy because, you know what? I, I came to the states to work, and and uh, if they give me more hours, the more for me that is better for me. It keeps me out of trouble. Uh, instead of finishing my shift and then having the rest of the day with not nothing to do, I still have a couple more hours that I, I'm I'm gonna be working every day. So when this when the whole 40 hour deal happened, they asked him to train somebody else. So now he's not putting that extra hour in the morning. And he's not putting those two extra hours in the afternoon. So basically, he's only working those forty hours. So uh, that does the does the mm. answer that, that a lot of growers have, yeah. are doing is instead of having one guy working those extra hours, we'll just hire somebody else, even part time, instead of maybe just give him uh, twenty hours a week, and that and that solves uh, the overtime deal. But it's affecting it's affecting everybody. So your family member, it, does he live here or is he here as a guest worker? He's a, he's a guest worker. A guest he, worker, he, uh, but he's a, a relative a, from back in, in Mexico? In, Me- in Mexico, yes. Got it. So, and that that's what's happening is, you know, people are left with, even though the program is really crazy expensive and adds a whole bunch of, you know, layers more of rules and regulations, Farmers are having to resort to that just to find the people to cover these extra labor needs that they have, right? Absolutely, you know. And the other, the other, uh, I guess, phenomena that are now, I, at least I'm seeing is uh, I manage uh, besides my uh, field work, I manage an orchard for Bluebird as well, and I get I get knocks on on the office literally every morning from from guys that are asking. Can I work for you? But it has to be paid cash because I already work for somebody mm-hmm. else. But I already completed my forty hours. I just want to uh, make and, money. Yeah, they, they they just want to work. They just want to work, and unfortunately, the, the the grower cannot afford. They be. I mean, if they could, they they would. They would because I mean, a lot of these workers have been working for them for many many years. 
but unfortunately they cannot survive as a small grower yeah. and having to pay already the high cost of everything, all the inputs, and then having to pay overtime. Uh, unfortunately, and I'd say this because I, I've seen it, uh, several of my growers uh, that they've been generations on, on that farm, they're having to sell or lease out mm. to survive as farmers anymore. I've heard of, of similar farms as well. Um, wow. Uh, it's not a good situation. Uh, this is the farming show. I'm Dylan Honkoop uh, here on on KGMI Radio, uh, talking with Eric Savala. He's over in Eastern Washington. Uh, he's the director of field staff for Bluebird, uh, f- uh, grower cooperative over there, uh, growing tree fruit. Um, Eric, you talk about, and we just have a, a couple minutes left. You talk about misinformation and disinformation. What is that? How, how does, how does that work from, from your vantage point? You know, uh, so basically, uh, so misinformation, uh, to me is, uh, a lot of, a lot of people, uh, when, when I was, when basically when I was, when I was talking to my teacher about the 40 hours and how the, the work was going to get paid overtime. Uh, it, it sounds great, but uh, basically, it's almost they, they tell uh, it's it's telling the public what what looks great on paper, but it, it's almost like it was not it was not fully uh, studied or or, yeah. or projected what yeah. how the how it really wasn't affected. So it was it was almost like misleading uh, for the for the uh, workers, you know, the uh, the farm workers. That it was like, yeah, you're gonna get overtime for that, and it was like, well, that's great, you know, but they, they never anticipated that the 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 shock wave that is gonna have, and and now, literally during harvest, all these workers that basically during harvest, you, there, there's no weekends. Again, we go back to uh, yeah. how perishable the fruit is, yeah, and and, and yeah, so workers were working uh, 60, 70 hours at times, and they were happy because they were putting all this time. And it's only this short amount of time uh, yeah. during harvest. Yeah, because for the past couple of months, there haven't it hasn't been that kind of work to do, right? No, I mean in back winter. in uh, mid, yeah. So in January we had that cold snap. I mean, it was like almost a uh, seven to ten days of really cold weather. So nobody was working. So now they're all this these workers are are forced to go to their savings accounts and start uh, pulling money out and not putting money in. And then we went to a rainy weather, so there's no work going on yeah. either. So they only been working maybe just a week on, on this past uh, past two months. Well, and those savings and, accounts are what you're supposed to beef up in in the summer and harvest time when you get the extra hours. So when you get fewer hours, and then it all evens out around the year. But if you can't get those hours during harvest time, then you're hurting in the winter time. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that's uh, that's exactly it, you know. And and then when you get and everybody knows this. I mean, when when the heater does not shut off all twenty four seven because it's so cold, uh, you get the the bill on on the mail and it's is 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 wow, you know. And 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 there's no input to those savings accounts. So and then going back to the the disinformation. It again is is it's almost you know I, I see some of the articles on uh, on the newspaper and it's some of the headings are are, are misleading. It's like uh, the workers uh, want the overtime or and it's it's not. I guess personally, I, I I do not know of any 
worker, farm worker, that is happy with this yeah, law. That was something I, I was going to ask, too. We are out of time, but interesting conversation. And it's been great to connect with you, Eric, and get to know you. I uh, can't wait to make it over to the east, eastern uh, side of the state as soon as I can uh, one of these days. And uh, would love to, to get together with you over there when I am. Uh, Eric Zavala uh, with Bluebird, uh, tree fruit grower cooperative. Uh, in Eastern Washington. Thanks for being with us on the program. Thanks what you for what you do, the role you play in, in growing great food and the famous fruit that we have here in Washington State, and, and we appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.